0: Welcome to the Business in Vancouver podcast. I'm Tyler Orton, and
1: I'm Haley Wooden. And
0: this podcast is brought to you by Manning Elliott Accountants and Business Advisors. We've got a special guest once again. It's our colleague here at Business in Vancouver, Patrick Blunnerhassett, Patrick, thanks for joining us on the show.
2: Thanks for having me. I think I figured it out. Am I the third Musketeer? Is that uh, I'm coming in with the references?
0: Well, no. What's issue? the name of the fourth Musketeer <laughs> that nobody ever? D'Artagnan. D'Artagnan. You know yeah, you're, you're D'Artagnan here. There That's you a, go. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm the fourth Musketeer. <laughs> we're, we're keeping the uh, spot warm for a third one until we decide okay I'll take it I'll take it poor
1: Albert who's recording this he's he's not even the third or the fourth
0: (laughs) could be worse but uh, Patrick you've been working on a story examining how Vancouver has a chance to really jump up on the world stage when it comes to rugby competitions tell us a little bit what's coming up next yeah
2: so this weekend um probably the world's most well easily the world's most famous rugby team the maori out all blacks are coming to vancouver and they're gonna play in bc place stadium and i think it's a bit of a signal that um vancouver is trying to uh, sell BC Place as sort of an international destination and one of the sports that seems to be doing quite well is rugby so uh, maybe I'll take a little bit of a step back get a bit of a context so yeah. rugby was, has always kind of been uh, a fringe sport I don't know if you guys played growing up I played and then played a little bit after high school and it's an incredibly physically demanding sport but it's also very beautiful and it's fun to watch. Um, rugby's always kind of been that fringe sport um, but then they got back into the Olympics in 2016 in Rio and not only did they add the 15 aside they add the seven aside game which is incredibly exhausting don't ever play it it's <laughs> <laughs> you will vomit repeatedly after um, and so what's happened is rugby has sort of gone from being a perennial sort of Side not, sideshow sport, but sort of a fringe sport to uh, a mainstream sport. Uh, they estimate that they added about sixteen or seventeen million new fans um, from that. And now the World Cup of Rugby is the third largest sporting event in the world, uh, trailing only obviously the World Cup of Soccer and the Summer Olympics. So, uh, rugby is here on the big stage, and what rugby needs is a open field. Uh, Open air, open field, uh, artificial turf or uh, grass turf uh, stadium. And it needs uh, decent weather. So it can't be too cold, can't be too hot. So BC Place is like perfect for rugby. So the sevens have come, the sevens have done really well. And now Canada has also landed, uh, or Vancouver has landed a match against Uruguay. And uh, this could be uh, our calling card, so...
1: And I know one of the interesting things with the Maori All Blacks, there's such a culture built up around that team too. Yeah. So we had someone from the business side of that team on the radio show a couple months back when they announced this game, talking about how to sort of build up a culture around rugby. And I think that's happening. The Rugby Sevens have certainly helped build that or at least sort of plant the seeds of excitement in uh, the minds of people here in Vancouver.
2: Yeah. And so the when I was w- working on a story, uh, which should be out next week, um, I talked to uh, Rugby Canada and also talked to Sport Hosting Vancouver and uh, they mentioned another city that's done really, really well with rugby and that's Hong Kong. And what Hong Kong has done is that they've there's a culture, as Haley was saying, that goes along with rugby where not only do you go to the rugby game, but you get all your friends together, you fly together, you stay in the same hotel, you dress up in funny costumes, you drink lots of alcohol, you eat lots of food. Um, And it really works when you have a stadium in the downtown core as Hong Kong does and as Vancouver does. A lot of stadiums in Canada uh, and even in the United States, the stadiums are not in the downtown core Sands, maybe like Madison Square Garden and a few others. So this is another thing that Vancouver has going for BC Place. Uh, BC Place Stadium is not out in Abbotsford. It's not out in Richmond. It's right in the heart of downtown. Now there's a casino by it. So... What Hong Kong has done is they'll have a uh, corporate event. So let's say that there's something going on at the Vancouver Convention Center. And they'll plan the, the rugby event to happen, you know, a couple days after or the weekend after or immediately following. And then what they'll do is they'll offer discounts to the business class, the corporate culture, to say, hey, if you come to this event and you stay, we'll give you a discounted box seat. You can watch the sevens tournament. And they've done really well. Their sevens tournament in Hong Kong generates apparently uh, $60 million annually. Hmm. and So that's a lot of money. That's probably the amount of money that sport hosting is thinking to bring in uh, in with about four or five separate events. So if we could start pulling in that type of money for one event, uh, that'd be pretty good.
1: Yeah, and that's in a country that, you know, traditionally not where rugby's from. We're not talking about like comparing this to the UK or something yeah. like that, right? It's a country that's yeah done very well in hosting these events.
2: Well, and, and the backstory with Hong Kong is obviously a former British colony. Yeah. So they've got the culture there. Uh, we are also a former British colony. Uh, the national team usually trains out of Victoria. Um, rugby has done quite well. Uh, rugby is doing really well in the United States. Um, it's picking up a lot of steam there. Uh, it's also doing really well in Japan. Japan actually beat South Africa in the most recent World Cup, and it just, like, exploded in Japan. And now you've got, um, you know, it's just sort of – it's becoming a sport that is no longer something that I think the big dollar people can ignore anymore. I, so
0: I also wonder if there's kind of parallels between – the growing interest we see in Vancouver uh, here in rugby as well as soccer. Because I was thinking that too. For yeah. a long time, soccer was just kind of, like you said, a bit of a fringe sport, not across the globe, but definitely in North America. Mm-hmm. We're seeing these rivalries build up now between uh, you know, going down the coast here. You also look, if it's getting big in the United States rugby that is I I wonder if Seattle could be a bit of a player too because there's a lot of parallels uh with downtown stadium open air Mm -hmm. similar weather close to downtown uh, or as I mentioned before downtown stadium so I don't know. It could be... I think these local rival- rivalries could actually be kind of a boost to them. I think people like that sort of yeah. stuff. Yeah. And you
2: look at the major franchises in Vancouver. I mean, the Canucks aren't going anywhere, but they're obviously not the team that they were in, what was it, 2011? And they went to the finals with, with the City and Twins. Um, so it's going to be a couple of years before the Canucks sort of re-cement their place as like selling out every game and, and uh, waiting lists for season tickets. So in the meantime, uh, you know, the BC Lions and the CFL look like there's a potential that that league might not even make it out of the next couple years. And then you've got the Whitecaps. They're selling out. They're almost selling out and they're in the playoffs right now. The MLS is one of the fastest growing uh, professional sport leagues in the world right now. Um, They're attracting top talent. Uh, So there's a potential that uh, BC Place, you know, opening up that upper deck to Whitecaps games on a consistent basis like that would incredibly not only expand the fan base, but the revenue dollars, the tax dollars, a whole bunch of other things. So... Question is, um, you know, can we get on that bandwagon right now while maybe, the, you know, the Canucks are in their quote unquote rebuilding
0: phase? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I, I'll throw this one last hypothetical out there. I don't think it'll ever happen, but I think... Vancouver could support an NBA team once again. Oh, no, yeah. We've seen demographics change in (laughs) Vancouver significantly since the Grizzlies left. Yeah, And we've also just – that was a team that was not well-managed. I I don't really blame fans for wandering away from that franchise after all that mismanagement that went on. (laughs) I just don't see the NBA seeing this as a viable market, even though I I definitely think it is at this point. I think –
2: I agree with you. I do think that, you know, obviously, if you go down to, say, the Richmond Oval, and I play hockey down there once in a while, I mean, all those basketball courts are filled all the time. I mean, basketball is huge in Asia. It's huge in China. And with that sort of Asian fusion that we have here, I definitely think it would take off. I mean, we could support a second hockey team. I mean, if if they had the Canucks and another team, obviously that would never happen. But, I mean, the Maple Leafs and the Toronto area could probably support oh.
0: literally like three or four teams. Yeah, so. I would say the Leafs could uh, do that. I, but you look at how much the Canucks are struggling just to fill the stands in right yeah, now. Yeah, true. The problem yeah. is with Vancouver, we're just such fair weather fans. Yeah. So, if we're not doing well, that that's why... You know, we see all these kind of cheap tickets that you can get right now to see a, like a subpar Canucks team.
2: Yeah. My advice, I talked to, I did a story a couple of months ago and I talked to a couple of university professors and they said the bellwether will be Seattle. Keep your eye on Seattle. If Seattle gets an NBA team, uh, it makes much more logistical sense to have a Vancouver team. Mm hmm because the road trip sort of loop could go up to Seattle, then you go up to Vancouver, and we already have the stadium. The other thing is that, you know, the owners of Rogers Arena, they are a hockey uh, family at the Aquilini's, and they are a hockey team. So the other thing is that basketball takes place at the same time as hockey. So there's a potential that if the Canucks aren't doing well, people will just go watch whatever basketball team. I don't know if they would call it the Grizzlies again, but – it, it would, it could potentially cut into the Canucks ticket sales, and that's the last thing that the Aquilinias would ever allow happen. So,
0: what would you want to call a new oh, team? Man. I'll put you all on the spot. <laughs> oh no, Haley, hey, Haley, you first. I'm going
1: first, yeah, you're on. Yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, we can man. follow. We'll give with, our guests a. We a can moment. follow with better ones. How about you go first? Uh, how that's about how the you Orcas? You know, the Orcas. That's good. It, it,
0: the only problem is, it is you know we have Finn the mascot over for the Canucks. I don't know if that's a little bit too much. Um, oh. it'd have to be something I, I think that would kind of the Vancouver the, salmons the salmons <laughs> the <laughs> sockeyes the sockeyes that's sockeyes. okay that's the Victoria hockey team isn't it
2: uh, maybe I don't know okay. I'm trying to think like what's synonymous with Vancouver I think the, the
0: oh wait wait I know yeah, something yeah. that makes everybody <laughs> <laughs> frightened how about the uh, Vancouver real estate prices Ooh. Um, Oh, good would th- that
1: would get some booze it would also get some cheers for anyone who owns a home I go. <laughs> True. yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> alright there you go It's very business sports team name. And we're going to continue the business talk after the break.
0: Yeah. This podcast is brought to you by Manning Elliott Accountants and Business Advisors. Manning Elliott has been providing expert accounting assurance, business advisory tax, and valuation services to businesses in the Lower Mainland and Fraser Valley since 1952. If you're serious about taking your business and brand to the next level, if you want an accounting firm that'll be there to help you every step of the way. Give Manning Elliott Accountants and Business Advisors a call at 604-714-3600 at 604-714-3600 or check them out on their website at manningelliot.ca.
1: All right, so we have new GDP numbers out. We've been talking on this podcast, on the radio show about the strength of Canada's economy, the pace at which it's growing. But for the month of August, we actually saw the first contraction in terms of GDP since October 2016. Now, it's not a huge drop, a drop by 0.1% from July to August, but a first monthly drop in almost a year, leading the way goods producing industries and oil and gas in particular having a pretty big impact on that, as well as manufacturing. So I don't know whether this is A sign that the economy is going to cool a little bit. It's expected that it's not going to keep the same pace of growth it's seen in the first half of the year.
0: Yeah, I think it's safe to say these numbers reflect what we're hearing from a lot of the experts, the economists that are saying don't expect this pace to be sustainable that that we've been experiencing throughout 2017. I think this is just the first sign of that. And I would expect more mm, so so economic numbers to be coming out towards the end of this year as well.
1: Yeah, and it does make sense July GDP relatively unchanged and now we're seeing a contraction so we are seeing that sort of gradual shift
2: I would say I always like to go to the macro level I don't think we can complain right now I remember the last time I was looking at uh, GDP, GDP numbers I mean you've got the UK is still kind of struggling. Uh, the Eurozone still got a lot of countries that are struggling. Japan's not doing as well. They're doing okay, but they've got an election coming up. Abenomics uh, seemed to do okay for a while, and now they're not totally sure. Um, the United States is kind of doing their chugging along thing. So I mean let's let's be okay with doing okay. Yeah. I mean it, that's that's nothing wrong with, you know, you know, small incremental growth. This idea that we always have to be
0: booming, I think uh maybe we need to get past that a little bit. Yeah, and I think what we're getting at though is it's just not sustainable the, the growth that we have seen mm-hmm. that's becoming clear and look, I I yeah, I agree. If we could have great economic growth every single month, why not? But the fact of the matter is it's cyclical to a certain degree, too. Yeah,
1: and it is up. I should say several yeah. percentage points year over year. It's the month to month that we're seeing that shift. Yeah. All
0: right. Well, a pretty big story here out of Vancouver technology sector. The CEO of Build Direct, he resigned quite abruptly. Jeff Booth, uh, he founded this company that's known as the Amazon of home building supplies. It's one of the few anchor companies in the technology sector here in Vancouver, it, Booth is like one of the most highly regarded executives in the local industry. So his reg- resignation, he had this big, huge LinkedIn message explaining it, but he calls it regrettable. And it comes down to the fact that the company, we're just talking about growth here. Mm-hmm. The company could not sustain the growth that it was on. It could not meet the demands of suppliers and customers. They looked to raise more capital, couldn't raise as much capital as they wanted. And essentially, this comes down to a disagreement that... Booth had with debt holders and so his departure he I'm sure it's not something that he wanted to see it also makes people wonder well, how does this reflect about the future of the company it's going to be a lot of question marks because essentially Booth wanted to pivot the company significantly a few years back back in 2014 when they realized that they were going to need a lot of money so if you change the whole kind of economic model of this I don't I don't know where they go from here I always know
2: that Vancouver has sort of had two seminal issues when it comes to real estate. And and one is sort of supply. And the other one is basically trying to get capital. Um, We're still a a really small fish when it comes to, um, you know, attracting big investors. We're predominantly still known as that resource town, the oil and gas and mining. We've got a few headquarters here. So I don't know if this is related to that, Tyler. I haven't read too much about it, but it just kind of seems like it's barking up similar trees that a lot of other companies are maybe talking about.
0: Well, if we're looking for patterns as well, keep in mind shoes.com, that went out of business earlier this year, Uh, another e-commerce company uh, struggling. So You find retailers are having struggles. Same with some e commerce companies that are just trying to keep up with all the change, all the pace that's going on in the tech sector. Yeah, there's a real
2: shifting landscape in terms of e commerce. And I think a lot of companies are getting really just sideswiped. Like they're just, if they're not able to pivot really quickly, they're just losing revenue and then they're gone. Boom, they're disappeared.
1: Yeah. And I mean, obviously, People who get into it should have, you know, an understanding of the industry they're getting into. But it could be misleading to think because you don't have bricks and mortar, you'll have a lower capital cost. But There still is, you know, quite a bit of money that has to go into building a successful platform. Right. Speaking of growth and sort of resource companies, we saw the Toronto Stock Exchange break a record on Monday, closing above the 16,000 point mark for the first time. And we're recording this Tuesday morning Pacific time. And it's it's still up above that mark. Um, Resource companies having an impact on that, as well as one company that I want to bring attention to, and that's Canopy Growth. We remember this one, Canada's biggest marijuana company, Constellation Brands. Uh, I
0: think by market value, that's like what they're judging that on, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, by market capitalization. um, Constellation Brands, a uh, liquor, alcohol, beverage conglomerate based in the U.S., announced it's going to be investing in about a 10% stake in the company and their joint venture, pardon the pun, that was accidental, is going to be <laughs> marijuana-related beverages, as you can imagine, between the alcohol experience and the uh, cannabis experience and looking at potentially innovative products. The uh, steak worth about $245 million.
0: Yeah, we're going to be talking about this on the radio show later on this week with Dan Sutton from Tantalus Labs. But it, it I think the bigger story here is kind of the corporatization of the cannabis industry in which we're having big players from the United States looking at who's ahead in this particular market. Canada is much further ahead than a lot of other jurisdictions at this point. So I would expect kind of big corporate America to make its influence known in the Canadian cannabis industry. And I think this is just one of the big first signs of that.
2: I don't think a lot of people, I could be completely wrong here, but a lot of people I talk to, I don't think they understand the gravity of what we're going to do next year. In terms of a federal, a federally mandating legal marijuana, I mean, the United States have, have done it on a state level, but you're never going to attract international investors if you can't move it across state lines and you've got a president and an attorney general who are never going to legalize it fully. Here, what we're going to do is basically create an entire country where it's legal. And I was uh, covering the recent uh, Business Excellence Series event. And the thing that some of the people, the panelists talked about is the calls that they're taking from Europe, the calls that they're taking from Asia, the calls that they're taking from the United States, just from international investors and international interests. I mean, this is not only are we going to have legal marijuana, but we're going to be on the world stage. Like we're going to be on the front page, the New York Times, the Guardian. Like this is going to be huge next year. But
0: I don't think it's going to roll out very smoothly at all. No, well, I think, no, I, I, I totally
2: think, agree with you. It's going to be tons of hiccups. So a, a
0: lot of those jurisdictions are going to be looking... Was that like, a, was what, that a pun though? Roll out smoothly. Uh, sorry, sorry, no, yeah, accidental accident. ones. I, I, I swear, one of these days we will <laughs> we'll be able to do marijuana conversations without any bad puns. But uh, today's not the day. But look, people are going to be looking at what Canada does, if only not to repeat a lot of the same errors. The yeah, lot of, uh, that happens because l- the timeline for this is just so fast. I, they, we've. We've spoken to guests before on the show, Haley, saying that like we can expect some sort of organized chaos to be unleashed when this happens in July. So I'm, yeah. I I don't know what to expect, but it's not going to be boring.
1: No, that's true. I I think I don't know if you want to call it a saving grace or not, but sort of the backstop is that even if provinces don't have plans in place, and there's quite a lot that's been placed on the provinces to figure out. It's not as though anyone can do what they want, and it's a free-for-all, right? So the standing regulations, the way it's been to date will, from my understanding, hold in place. So it's not like anyone can just do whatever they want, and then as provinces bring on regulations, uh, you know, things will begin to shift. But yeah, it's been a very short timeline, and from everything we've heard on the radio show, BC, pretty far behind.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: like and Mike, far Mike Farnworth
2: saying when I talked to him, he was like, "Yeah, I'd I'd love more time. We need more time. We're behind the eight ball." And yeah, I think the other thing that I've noticed talking to industry insiders is that we could have a huge supply crunch. Like it might oh, be more yeah. difficult to get marijuana after it's legal, if that's even like feasibly possible.
0: If you can wrap your head around that, well, that's why a lot of people are thinking about grandfathering in a lot of maybe these uh, not so legal supply or producers at this point because there's simply not enough capacity of people that have been given the green light, say, from Health Canada for medical cannabis... There's not enough capacity for them to go forward and produce it for the demand that would be there for the recreational industry. Yeah.
2: We are going to be a massive guinea pig and everybody is <laughs> going to be watch. There's no pun there. I don't know if that's a, a marijuana pun, but we are going to be a massive guinea pig that everybody is going to watch and everybody is going to scrutinize and everybody is going to try to pick us apart. So what we did right, what we did wrong. So hopefully people just take a deep breath, maybe smoke a joint, relax, just let it happen and, uh, you know, enjoy the windfall, you know?
0: There you go. All right. Just very quickly, uh, I was talking about kind of struggles with e-commerce, but what about uh, retailers here in Vancouver? We know that HBC is exploring the option to sell off its big, iconic flagship store, downtown Vancouver, the one you always walk by in the corner of Granville and Georgia, so the funny thing is, I was speaking to retail insiders, Craig Patterson, about this, and he was saying that it looks like WeWork has a big interest in taking over the sixth floor, which is the men's department there. So we, I, I don't know. Does that mean like a smaller men's department somewhere, or just eliminating the men's department <laughs> guys altogether? Can buy clothes anymore? I I don't know, but it, it's just interesting to see these guys, HBC, struggle so much that, that like they're and they're given it a pressure from a lot of people. Uh, within, uh, say, uh, the investors, you know, that want them to get more liquidity going. Why not get rid of some of this, you know, fantastic real estate they have, especially yeah. if you look at a market like Vancouver. I'm going to be keeping my eyes on what ends up moving into this because, it, it, look, it's not going to be the end of HBC. It's not going to be like a Sears Canada sort of deal here. But I, I, I do wonder what's going to happen with some of that real estate where it's not going to be 100% HP within that facility?
1: Yeah, well, it's potentially uh, like an HBC 2.0. They have these massive real estate footprints. We saw uh, very recently, too, their Lord & Taylor flagship store in New York. WeWork's taking over almost all of that, and there's going to be a very small section of it dedicated to Lord & Taylor. (laughs) So, yeah, you're seeing this transition.
2: I think it's just so indicative of the times as you have these modern, hip, co-working uh, companies taking over these long standing brands that have been around since before Canada was even a country. It's just kind of a sign of the times, you know, Hudson's Bay getting taken over by WeWork where hip millennials are coming together to.
0: Well, maybe there could uh, be a lot of hip millennials finding out that there's fashion that they never knew about and they could, uh, <laughs> get into, you know, I don't know, wearing golf shirts or, you know, cool cashies <laughs> or something like that. I don't know. We'll cool see. khaki's. Yeah. Cool khaki's. Yeah. So, uh, is yeah. that possible? Yeah. I could <laughs> it's pull debatable. it off. I could pull it's it debatable. off. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that podcast was brought to you by Manning LA Accounts and Business Advisors and Patrick, uh, we, we can't really find you. You're a bit of an enigma when it comes to social media, but uh,
1: <laughs> you just show up in our studio. I just I, I've
2: been here all week actually, just sleeping
0: in the corner waiting. So. <laughs> but you know what? We can find your stories at biv.com if our listeners want to go there. Haley, where can we find you on social media?
1: My handle is at Haley Wooden. I'm on Twitter and Instagram if you want to say hi. And you can also reach me through BIV.com.
0: Yeah, I'm at reporting. That's R-E-P-O-R-T-O-N. And the best way to get a hold of me is through Twitter as well. And that's it for the Business in Vancouver podcast.